Thank you, Jenny. Greatly appreciate that. It uh, goes along well with today's sermon. Well, grab your Bible, turn to Luke chapter 6. We are in Luke chapter 6 this morning as we continue our sermon series through the Gospel of Luke. Just give you an idea about where we're headed. Uh, we are in Luke's Gospel through the end of April, and then May we've got a special uh, called Family Matter. About that, you'll hear more about it in weeks to come. Luke chapter 6. And we'll read verses 20 through 26 uh, this morning. If you don't have a Bible, the passage of Scripture should be printed in your bulletin this morning. Hear God's Word. Talk about Jesus. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. And blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. And blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. And blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you, and revile you, and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day, and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets." But, woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. And woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. And woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, these words are shocking to us because the way Jesus sees things are not the way we normally see things. The blessings and the curses that he presents here seem upside down. They seem topsy-turvy to us. So Lord, we pray that your spirit would come working through your word today to recalibrate our minds and our mind's eye. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. How do you measure your blessings? What's the form of measurement you use to count your blessings? Is it about how much money you have in the bank? Maybe. It's about how many birthdays you celebrate. Is it about how many different vacations you get to take throughout the course of the year? Is it about how many different countries you get to visit throughout the course of your life? Or is it about how many awards you achieve? Or is it about how many degrees you receive? How do you measure your blessings? I think all those examples are the ways we typically, normally measure our blessings. But 
Perhaps the most important question we can ask today is this. Do you measure your blessings the same way Christ measures your blessings? Do you use the same form of measurement that Jesus uses when you count your blessings? My suspicion this day is that at some point, all of us get out of alignment with Jesus at some point. And we don't measure things the way Jesus measures things. This week, I got distracted by some vehicle issues, and I began researching how often you should have your car aligned. And so I began researching it, and I was shocked by the differences of opinions. Some people say you should only get your car aligned every time you get a new set of tires. Others said every year. Others said every two to three years. One person said you should get your car aligned every 6,000 miles. That's every other oil change. That seems a little excessive. So I decided to call my mechanic on Friday. And so I called Main Street Auto, called Mechanic Joe. I said, Joe, how often should I get my car aligned? And he said, every time you hit a curb. (laughs) And I said, can I quote you on that on Sunday? He said, you're using me for sermon material on Sunday? I said, I am. He said, sure. But this is the point that he was making, is that, Tanner, there is so much that can happen throughout the course of a day, throughout the course of the week, that should get your car out of alignment, that he said, essentially, you could have your car aligned every single day. I said, well, that'll preach, and hopefully it will this morning. Because the reality is, in all of our lives, there are different potholes that we hit, different situations that we face, different circumstances that we face that really get us out of alignment with God. They get us out of alignment With Jesus. And it takes us just like on our vehicles. You don't notice that your car is out of alignment the first mile or two after you get out of alignment. It takes miles, sometimes thousands of miles, before you begin realizing that your tires are not wearing evenly, but that somewhere along the way your car has gotten out of alignment from where it should be. Friends, for many of you today, that's where you are in your relationship with God. That's where you are in your relationship with Jesus this morning. You think, I'm hunky-dory, I'm fine, Tanner, I'm okay. You're not talking to me this morning. So what I'm hoping and praying for you this morning is that today's message will be like a flag in your mind. It'll be like a flag post, a mile marker in your mind that maybe a few weeks from now, a month from now, or maybe even years from now, you'll look back as you begin taking a look at how your soul and your heart is beginning to wear, and you're going to say, that short, fat, white preacher was correct. My heart was out of alignment with Jesus. And here's how to get back. But for some of you this morning, you already know you're out of alignment. There's been something that's happened in your life recently that has knocked you off course and it's rattled your cage. Maybe it's a sickness. It's the word cancer. And it sucks the air. 
out of the tire of your heart. And you know you're rattled this morning. And you need this sermon this morning to be a blessing to you to get your heart back in alignment with God. For some of you, you know you've been on a long detour for a while. Perhaps what caused it was a relationship that you've been in. Maybe you're coming out of a divorce or maybe you're in a divorce and you begin to look at that entire relationship as if it was just a significant detour in the course of your life. And as you seek to merge back into the life that you're pursuing, you need today's message to be a gift of God's grace to you as well, to get you back in alignment with God. But some of you, you've recently received news that you're expecting a baby. And maybe you wanted to have children someday, just not today. Sometime, just not at this time. Perhaps it's you here in the sanctuary or someone listening through live stream. And I want to encourage you that that baby is a blessing, not a burden. And let me encourage you to keep that baby. Because that baby is a gift from God. Others of you, you maybe seem like your life is out of alignment today because of some economical changes in your life. Perhaps a job change. You didn't anticipate it, but you feel as if the car of your life has swerved off the road, is beginning to fishtail in the median somewhat, and you don't know what it's going to take to get back on track. And maybe you need today's message to be a blessing to you to get your heart realigned as well. Or for some of you, you've had a head-on collision with a professor or a teacher at your school that has challenged your faith, that has challenged your belief system. And it's rattled your cage and it's gotten you out of alignment. And you need this message this morning to align your heart back in line with Christ and his perspective. How do you measure your blessings? You measure your blessings correctly when you measure your blessings in relationship to Jesus Christ. Here's the reality of what some of you know. Some of you have looked back at your life and you've seen things that have happened in your life and they looked like they were burdens. They looked like they were curses from God. But now that you look back, upon, back on them, guess what you are deciding now? That they, weren't a, they were not a curse, but rather they were a blessing from God. That what you think other people did and meant to harm you have actually been a gift from God. And so the, what we want to do this morning with this passage is begin to measure our blessings correctly by measuring our blessings correctly in relationship to Jesus Christ. How do we do that? Well, I believe that as we take a look at this passage, we're going to see what Jesus does here is very simple. He gives us four beatitudes or four blessings that correspond to four woes. And they're shocking to us because when we take a look at what Jesus has to say in this passage, we're shocked at what Jesus says. Do you know why? Because when we take a look at the things that we would normally admire, 
when we take a look at the things that we would consider successes and blessings, the things that we would want to pursue and imitate are precisely the things Jesus condemns. And then the things that we look at and we would consider to be curses or frustrations or failures are precisely the things that Jesus exalts, that Jesus praises. And so we look at this passage and we think perhaps Jesus' heart is out of alignment. But no, Jesus comes to us and he says, no, the kingdom and the blessings that I offer to you are topsy-turvy. They're upside down from what you would normally expect or think. And what is it that gets us off? What is it that gets us off in measuring our blessings from the way Christ measures his blessings? It's actually very simple. And I think that the clue to it is hinted at in the verses preceding the passage that I read this morning. The key is found in Luke chapter 6, verses 17 through 19. Hear God's word this morning. After Jesus was up on the mountain, he prays and he, he names his disciples. It says this in verses 17 through 19. And he came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great crowd of multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Now listen. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And all the crowd sought to touch him for power came out from him and healed them all. In the Greek it literally says the power came out from him repeatedly. What's going on here? Jesus is concerned that his disciples and his followers are not going to be prepared for the life they need to live for him. Here's where he's of concern that his disciples are going to get off and begin misjudging and miscalculating their blessings. What's happening in this passage is that Jesus is relieving them of all their immediate inconveniences, relieving them of all their immediate diseases, re relieving them of all their immediate afflictions. And Jesus knows what they are facing ahead of them. He knows what's coming down the pipeline. He knows that there's going to be a lot of suffering, a lot of persecution, a lot of abandonment, a lot of exclusion. And Jesus is concerned that his disciples are going to begin miscalculating and miscounting their blessings in him. And so Jesus says to his disciples, okay, time out here. Right after this passage, I've been healing you, I've been curing you of diseases, I've been exercising the demons, but don't think that it's always going to be this way. So don't think that your immediate relief, your immediate comfort, your immediate blessings are the ultimate currency by which you judge your blessings in me. So here's how we get off in miscalculating our blessings. We tend to focus on the immediate rather than the ultimate. It's really that simple. And so it's right after that that Jesus rolls into verse 20, and it says that he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, and he gives these beatitudes. So here's how I want us to measure our blessings today. I want us to measure our blessings in relationship to Jesus Christ, and I want us to do it using the four beatitudes that he gives us in this passage this morning. The first question you need to ask yourself if you're going to measure blessings correctly in Christ is this. How do you measure your wealth? How do you measure your wealth? Now, I grew up in West Virginia, 
I grew up in a coal mining area, and most of my family was from a particular county in West Virginia called McDowell County. McDowell County at one point was the richest county in the state of West Virginia because of the coal mines. And I'll never forget going to visit my family on family reunions as we went to McDowell County. As my dad would drive me down the road, you could tell who were the haves and the have-nots. Do you know who the haves were? This is how you would gauge and measure your wealth in McDowell County. Did they own a double-wide trailer? Okay, Not a single-wide, double-wide, baby. Then, did they have a trampoline beside their double-wide trailer? Ooh. Then, if they really, really had arrived, not only did they have a double-wide trailer with a trampoline, but guess what they had? They had either an above-ground swimming pool or below-the-ground swimming pool. And then the cherry on top was a Corvette. In McDowell County, West Virginia, that is how you measured your wealth. How do you measure your wealth? Is it by your physical possessions? Is it by your position in life? Christ says if that's how you measure your wealth, then you're out of line with the way Christ counts your blessings. Because Christ counts your blessings not according to physical possessions but according to your relationship with him. That's why Jesus says in verse 20, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Don't miss this, friends. In the first century, many Christians were persecuted for their faith. In fact, they were excluded from commerce. Many of them were excluded from guilds. And for vocations because of the relationship with Jesus Christ. So notice what Jesus is doing here. He knows that his disciples have just experienced the immediate relief of the healing of the diseases. The immediate relief of having demons exercised out of him. But Jesus says, tougher times are coming, folks. And blessed are you who are poor. You will suffer financially for my sake. But know that your, yours is the kingdom of God. It belongs to you right now. Thus, the corresponding woe you can find in verse 24. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. How do you measure your wealth, friends? Do you measure it by your possessions? Or do you measure it according to your relationship with Jesus Christ? See, here's one of the things that's the most disgusting about the prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel is a false gospel that's no gospel at all. And it says this, that Jesus exists to make you healthy, wealthy, and happy now. And the problem with that is the prosperity gospel itself does not measure up to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and the life he lived here on earth. In Luke's gospel, in chapter 4, Jesus goes into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan, but for 40 days and 40 nights. And at the end of Jesus fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, Satan, Satan comes to him and tempts him. But before that, what we have in Luke's gospel, chapter 9, is how Jesus measures his wealth. Jesus says, foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere 
to lay his head. How did Jesus measure his wealth? He measured it in relationship to his heavenly Father. Let me illustrate. This is a board game by the name of Monopoly. It has caused many of family conflicts over the years, particularly in the Klein family. I've never won the game of Monopoly, no matter what my strategy has been. I've tried to be the slumlord and then always land on boardwalk or park place and lose all my money and then I'm out of the game. Or if I try to save up and buy boardwalk and park place, then I hit the slumlord repeatedly throughout the game and he nickels and dimes me to death. But this is the money, this is the currency that you use in Monopoly. I didn't even know that there was such a thing as $500 bills. To, I mean, that's something Jay-Z and Beyonce don't even have, right? That's amazing. But for the, how, how long is this currency good for you? Only when you play the game. Which could last an hour of misery, or could be two and a half hours of misery. Usually, I've never, I've never been to the end of the Monopoly game. Usually, just all of our friends and family members tap out eventually. But this currency is only good for as long as you're playing the game. Here's what Jesus is trying to tell us this morning, friends. How do you measure your wealth? If you measure your wealth by the money in your bank account and by your physical possessions, it is as if you are measuring your wealth according to monopoly currency. This world is fading away. This world will pass away. And just like this monopoly money, all the money we have in the bank won't be worth squat in light of eternity. Friends, if you're measuring your wealth in terms of your possessions or your money, Jesus loves you enough today to say you're out of alignment with him and we need to repent. But how do you measure your satisfaction? How do you measure your satisfaction in life? How do you know that you're living a fulfilled life? It could be that you judge it by the good food that you eat. I ate some really good food this week that someone in the community fixed for me. It was delicious. It was El Pastor Tacos. They're like, do you want some? I was like, you had me at pastor, right? That's not what that means. It's pork. Anyway, joke. Some of you will find it funny. You'll catch it eventually. We can tend to view our satisfaction in life by the food that we eat, some of us by the booze that we drink, others by the fun that we have or the sensual pleasures we enjoy. And Jesus comes to us today and says, I know that that's how you tend to want to measure your satisfaction in life. But don't measure your satisfaction in life and your blessings in life by your physical pleasures, but by your spiritual fulfillment. In other words, what brings you the most joy? A good meal that you eat? Or feasting on God's word? Is it in the romantic relationship that you have? Or is it in the relationship that you have with Jesus Christ? This is what Jesus gets out in verse 21 when he says, Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. 
In other words, blessed are you if you're hungering physically now because there, although you're experiencing immediate discomfort right now, you experience ultimate comfort, ultimate relief in the new heavens and the new earth with God. See, the first century Christian church suffered persecution. And many of them were put in prison, and many of them suffered and starved. But they suffered with joy. Because they counted their immediate suffering paling in comparison to the ultimate fulfillment they would have with Christ in eternity. And so the woe is shown in verse... 25, when it says, But woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. How do you measure your blessings, friends? Do you measure it in immediate physical blessings? Or do you measure it in ultimate spiritual blessings in Christ? See, our Lord Jesus went into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights, and he was tempted by Satan. And at the end of that temptation, Satan comes to Jesus and says, If you're the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. It reminds me of the cartoon. You remember when they used to see people that were, when they were hungry, the cartoon characters would see people when they were hungry, and they would, they would suddenly, uh, you know, the person would turn into like a chicken leg, a fried chicken leg. That's what I picture here. Satan is saying, are you looking at these stones and they look like little loaves of bread? Command the stone and it'll turn to bread. But how does Jesus respond? And Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. What does our Lord Jesus do? He succeeds in the places where we fail. That he does not trade the ultimate fulfillment in his relationship to the Heavenly Father with immediate fulfillment in relief of his discomfort. And so Jesus sets aside his immediate discomfort to find ultimate satisfaction in his obedience to the heavenly father this happens to me and jennifer this temptation every time we go to outback steakhouse how many of you have ever enjoyed the blooming onion at outback steakhouse by a show of hands okay i see a few of you okay okay many of you guilty it happens every time whenever jennifer and i get together with her mammal who's, by the way, the meanest woman ever lived. I love her. God bless her heart. But whenever we get together with her, we always want to take her to her favorite place to eat, which is Outback Steakhouse. And it never fails that Mama wants to eat at a time that's delayed from where we would normally eat. And by the time we get there, we are starving. And we know what's going to come. Eventually, a delicious sizzling steak, whether it be a sirloin, ribeye, filet, whatever you choose, whatever you can afford, eventually is going to make its way to the table accompanied by a loaded baked potato or a baked sweet potato with cinnamon butter. Oh, cinnamon butter. There's nothing better this side of heaven than, than that. Cinnamon butter. I'm convinced that what we'll eat in heaven with Jesus. Baked sweet potatoes with cinnamon butter and no calories, no calories to it. There will be delicious side salad with ranch dressing that I'm convinced is just made with the most delicious ingredients you could possibly have. But the temptation before that is... Will we get the blooming onion? And you know what we always do? We get the blooming onion. 
I don't know how many onions it takes to make the bloomin' onion. There's no nutritional value in the bloomin' onion whatsoever. It's simply a, a, an onion that is sliced and diced, that is deep fried in more grease than probably motor oil in your car today while it's sitting in the, the church parking lot. It's, it's, it's doused in spices that will cause turmoil to your, not only to your body, but maybe even to your soul. And we always fill ourselves up with it to our detriment. Why? Because we don't know how to measure our blessings correctly. We have a tendency to want immediate relief rather than ultimate relief. And that's what we do repeatedly with Christ. So what God gives us this morning is an opportunity to repent. And say, Father, I'm sorry. That I have put more priorities upon physical pleasures than spiritual fulfillment. But that's not the only way that we get out of alignment. How do you measure your grief? How do you measure... Your grief. In other words, what causes you to grieve the most? Now, I want to be careful here because there are many in our church family in the last year that have gone on to be with the Lord. And I miss them. I miss them greatly. We put together a calendar of the church, and I was looking at the front cover of it just a week or two ago. I was noticing the picture we took on the front steps of the church just about a year ago, right before COVID hit. So many sweet, precious saints have gone on to be with the Lord, and I miss them greatly. And frankly, I'm shocked that some of them that I miss this much because I only knew them for a very brief period of time. So I can only imagine how much more you miss them than I do. But Jesus challenges me and he challenges us in this passage today to ask ourselves, what causes us to grieve the most? The Lord Jesus tells us to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And so there's a time and a place to grieve and to grieve those that we know and love that have gone on to be with the Lord. But what should grieve us the most is when people that we know and love die. And we know for a fact they did not know Jesus. That should cause us the most grief. That's what Jesus gets at in verse 21b. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. In the first century church, many Christians were executed for their faith in Christ. There are still Christians in the world today that they know that when they take the sign of baptism, there is, in all likelihood, they will be excommunicated from their families. And they will put a mark on their life because of their government. And their government's position, position to the Christian faith. 
And so Jesus challenges them and he challenges us about how we are to measure our grief. Do we measure our grief physically or spiritually? What causes us the most grief when someone just simply dies physically or when we know someone dies spiritually? Jesus says in verse 25, Be woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Here's one of my great concerns about our culture today is that we want to amuse ourselves to death. We want to medicate any time someone's sad or depressed. There are times and places for people with chemical imbalances to have that medication. I'm not speaking against that. But I think there's a knee-jerk reaction in our culture today, in our country today, to simply want to band-aid and to numb every ounce of grief and pain. There's a time and a place to mourn. There's a time and a place to weep. There's a time and a place to grieve. And my question to you is, what causes you the most grief? Are you frustrated when you don't get your way? Or are you grieved more because you know you've strayed from God's way? What causes you the most grief, Christian? When's the last time that the Holy Spirit pricked your conscience and you know there's something he's telling you you're off base? Friends, if it's been a while, safe to assume you're out of alignment with God today. Calvin would say this, that every day we sin against God in our thoughts, our words, our deeds, our desires, and the motivations of our hearts. What causes you the most grief? Are you grieved by your own sin? And are you grieved by the sin of our nation? I don't know that I'm prophetic in this, but this is my own take on this. In my opinion, our country is past the tipping point. I'm going to pray for revival, but as I study church history, as I study redemptive history, in my opinion, our nation has reached a point where she's so far away from Judeo-Christian values that I'm concerned that God in his judgment and discipline of is beginning to take his hands off of us, and I believe we're past the tipping point. Does that grieve you? Would that even grieve you? If it's true. True story this week, one of my dearest friends called me. He was crying. Because his relationship ended recently. He's in a relationship with a married woman. And he's shocked that he's experiencing pain. I tried to be a good friend and tried to just listen for a while. And I was, as I was listening, I was praying, Lord, let there be a door of opportunity for me to share the gospel with him and point him to Jesus. And throughout the course of that conversation, he finally got to a point where essentially he was telling me this, that he was getting frustrated 
Because he feels like whenever he tries to find his happiness in someone or something, it seems to be wobbly and not be able to stand the pressure. I was like, that's good. That's called an idol. Can't stand the pressure. Or it's so temporary, so fleeting. He says, I wish I could just find my happiness in someone or something that is permanent. I said, that's a great question. I said, so the question is, my friend, who or what is permanent that you can find ultimate satisfaction in? And you know what he immediately said? Are you going Christian on me? Of course I'm going Christian on you. He immediately told me, I've got religion, I've got spirituality. It's a part of my life. I said, that's the problem, my friend. Your spirituality is kind of like a side dish with your, with your pork and barbecue. You think you can either have coleslaw, baked beans, fried okra, really doesn't matter. All that matters is that you pick a side, some side. Pick a God, any God. But the problem is that God is supposed to be the main dish and the main portion of your dish, front and center in your life. And he's the only one, the only thing that won't change that is permanent. And he ended the conversation saying, I love you, but we'll have to agree to disagree. Church, that grieves me. Because I know today, if my friend died today, he would go to hell. That grieves me. How do you measure your grief? The way you measure your blessings correctly is you measure them in Christ and ultimately in relationship to him. Which brings us to the fourth beatitude. But before I go there, by the way, Jesus wept. Only three times in the Gospels, Jesus wept. So if it happened three times, we need to pay attention. It says in Luke 19, and when Jesus drew near and saw the city of Jerusalem, he wept over it. Why did Jesus weep over Jerusalem? It was not because of the physical state or condition of the city. It was because of the spiritual condition of the city. All three times that Jesus weeps, he weeps primarily and ultimately about the spiritual condition of of the people. One of those three times he weeps over Lazarus who is dead. There's no doubt that there's some physical grief and that he loved his friend. But I think in that passage, still, the ultimate reason why Jesus grieves is because the people don't understand the power that he has over death, the power and the ability to resurrect Lazarus from the dead. So, what grieves Jesus? Spiritual death. People being spiritually far from him. So, my question to you is, are you grieved by the same thing that grieves Jesus? If so, then your heart is in line with your Savior. But if not, friends, your heart is out of alignment with your Savior, and you need to get back in line with him today. Which brings us to the fourth beatitude, which is this. How do you measure your popularity? How do you measure your popularity? J.C. Ryle says this. What is more common than love of everyone's praise? 
What is more common than want everyone to like you? The first century church, the Christians were excommunicated from the synagogue. Do you know why they were excommunicated from the synagogue? Because they claimed Jesus as Lord and they claimed Jesus as the Messiah. But notice what Jesus says to them in verses 22 and 23. Blessed are you when people hate you and they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Now, over the years, I've met some people in the church that just aren't very likable. I'm not saying that any of you resemble that. I'm just saying over the last 23, 35, 43 years I've been a Christian, I've met some people that just aren't that likable. Nothing honorable, godly, and just not being likable. The issue in this passage is that you're not light because of your relationship to the Son of Man, to the Son of God, to Jesus Christ. And notice what Jesus says, verse 23, Rejoice in that day, leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did repeatedly, continuously to the prophets. How do you measure your popularity? Do you judge your popularity by the applause of men or by the applause of God? I love this passage because in, in verse 23, it gives us two imperatives. It gives us two commands. Rejoice and leap for joy. The command is to rejoice. The command is to leap. I picture someone who just had their name called on the price is right. You're the next contestant on the price is right. Jesus says repeatedly that if you walk with me, if you serve me, if you follow me, there will be people that will hate you. That will exclude you, that will spurn your name as evil on account of me. Now, I'll be honest with you. I like it when you tell me I preached a good sermon on a Sunday. I like it. But I get nervous after several Sundays in a row when no one's had anything wrong or bad to say about my preaching. The reason being is because of verse 26. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. See, every minister knows this. I have two jobs, well, really three jobs every Sunday. For those of you that are comfortable in your sin, my job is to afflict you. Welcome to the game. I'm here to make you uncomfortable. For those of you that are afflicted in your sin, my job is to comfort you. But my job... To all of you is to point you to Jesus. How do you measure your popularity, friends? Here's what every minister has to remember, that when I preach to you, I'm really preaching to an audience of one. Jesus. You can like me, you can love me, you can hate me, you forget me, you can name the next bathroom you build after me. Build a statue to me, maybe hang my name and my picture in your sanctuary or out in the hallway someday. But at the end of the day, which is judgment day, the only thing that matters is what God thinks of me and God thinks of you. How do you measure your popularity? I'll tell you how Jesus measured his popularity. It was according to what this heavenly father thought of him. Jesus said this to his disciples, the son of man must suffer be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Jesus went from being most likely to succeed to most likely being killed in the course of no time at all. But Jesus counted it a blessing to be rejected by men, 
that he might be accepted by the Heavenly Father on your behalf. Because Jesus didn't count his blessings according to the world's standards. Jesus counted his blessings according to his Heavenly Father's standard. How do you count your blessings this morning? Do you count it according to Christ? Or according to the culture? One day, Charles Spurgeon was depressed. And he was sleeping in bed all day and was moaning and groaning. And do you know what his wife did? She got a big sheet of paper and she wrote out all the Beatitudes on them. And she literally, physically tacked them on the ceiling above their bed. So as Charles Spurgeon was lying there in bed, he was forced to read the Beatitudes. What was she doing? What God hopes to do for you today, to realign your perspective on all of your blessings by aligning them in your relationship with Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word that is clear and cuts at times. I confess to you, Father, that every day it's a battle for me to view life, to view work, to view marriage, friendships, and even ministry according to your standards. Father, please forgive me that when things seem off, my sinful tendency is to think that you're off rather than me being off track. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would realign our hearts and our perspective to you today. It's in Jesus' name.